The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. I will not wear the mask. 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 I will not wear a mask. I will not get the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And I will not get the vaccine. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above all. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of this I hate the work of those who follow it. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall stand. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmony sound. For you, O Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will you, triumph in the works of your name. are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. I will defy tyrants. 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 And with that, good morning, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people. All the boat rockers are in the house and anybody else I may have missed to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina. The editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns about. I hold to the book, the Bible. As the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here on Thursday morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so. SonsofLibertyRadio.com and also SonsofLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of Red State Talk Radio, head over to SonsofLibertyMedia.com. Scroll down on the right side of the page and you'll see us going live in the second video down. Yeah, you'll see the numbers that I'm showing on here. They're not really what I'm seeing in the chat at all. Um, Boy, like multiplied many times. And of course, we're on Rumble 2 at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. Just look that up. Look for the channel. When you do the search, there's a vi- search for video, search for channel. Do the channel, Sons of Liberty Radio Live as one word. We're on there live as well. Also on beforeitsnews.com, top of the page right there, as well as dlive.tv at the Sons of Liberty. 
and also on Roku, Cutting Edge TV on there. So, and Twitch, one more, Twitch, News Tycoon. Go over there, check that out as well. Subscribe to the pages, but uh, you can always find us here at sonsoflibertymedia.com on the right side of the page. Right above that is Bradley's show from yesterday, and you can catch that up until 3 p.m. today when he goes live. So if you want to hear Bradley in the afternoons, he's not on Red State Talk Radio. He's on GCN, but uh, he's live on sonsoflibertymedia.com if you want to check that out as well. Right above the videos is where you can subscribe to our newsletter. Now, we don't rent your email, sell it, or spam it. You know that. Uh, you get one email from us a day, including the morning show archive. So everything we're going to have today, and I know some of you are going to want to share the information today because I was talking with Don yesterday, and he laid something on me in all the years that uh, he and I have kind of had conversations and reading his book and writing the stuff that I that I, I wrote and everything. Never heard this. So as far as I know, this is going to be the first place you're going to hear it. And Don says when he does a... Um, uh, uh, I don't know, what what do you call it, a renewal or something of his book, when he puts it <clears throat> back out again as far as a, a new edition, they're going to make this front and center because this is a really big deal. And uh, like any good show host, you're not going to hear it at the first. You're going to have to wait <laughs> through that to hear it. But that will be in the in the morning show archive later this morning. Finally, if you agree with our message and you want to help us, you know, we have needs. That's what we let you know we have, that we have needs. And we trust the Lord to move on the hearts of his people that they might come alongside us and help support the message we have. There's a donate button at the top of sonslibertymedia.com. There's also a way where you can become a son or daughter of liberty, which is our monthly partners, who we're very appreciative for, as well as our single uh, donation uh, partners. And uh, that's the link is at top of sonslibertymedia.com, as well as our store. And this week we are highlighting Bradley's The Prayer That Rocked the Capital DVD. And again, if you've been wanting to get it, and you hadn't been able to get it, it's $20 normally. You use the promo code at checkout in our store, 25PRAYER, all one word, the number 25PRAYER at checkout, and you'll get 25% off this DVD. Again, this goes back to 2011, shows that he was invited to give a prayer there at the Minnesota State House, and as a result of that, it was a simple prayer, guys. It really was. And yet national media just couldn't help themselves of going after him, which it's like we say here, their cruelty swell our ranks. And so a lot of people heard about Bradley Dean, who didn't even know he was on the planet. Uh, so it's, you know, it's great the way God uses things to uh, for, for our good and for his glory, as it says in Romans 28 or 828. <clears throat> so if you want that DVD, pick it up. 25 prayer is the promo code for that. Now, as you know, this week we're highlighting Extortion 17. Tomorrow is the 10th anniversary of the downing of that, killing 17 Navy SEALs, uh, several other servicemen in that helicopter crash, and uh, still nobody's been brought to justice over the cover-up. What many of us believe was treason by many in the Obama administration, and just nobody's been brought to justice. Just like everything else that America seems to be leaving off, uh, they leave off justice in just about everything that the corrupt politicians do, okay, that they're involved in. And so that's why we're highlighting it again. The media is largely MIA on this on this story. And uh, so to do to help us today in that, 
We've got uh, Don Brown. Now, Don's not a stranger to the Sons of Liberty. We've had him on before. In fact, we just had him on a month or two, two ago to talk about the election fraud because he was involved in the investigation into that as well. But Don is a former U.S. Navy JAG officer. He's a nationally best-selling author of books of military fiction and nonfiction. The author of 13 books by released, excuse me, released by various national publishers. Uh, his two novels, Treason and Malacca Conspiracy, I hope I pronounced that correctly, both reached number one in the world on the Amazon bestseller list for fiction in 2009 and 2012, respectively. Treason, a novel about young uh, a young Navy JAG officer, Zach Brewer, chosen to prosecute three Islamic chaplains for murder, is said by some to have predicted the Fort Hood terror attacks in November of 2009. His 2015 nonfiction military expose, Call Sign Extortion 17, the shootdown of SEAL Team 6, investigates the military cover-up of the shootdown by Taliban forces of a U.S. military, military helicopter on August the 6, 2011. And uh, it's my great privilege to welcome back to the Sons of Liberty, Don Brown. Good morning, Don. Morning, Tim. Yeah, Thanks great for having me back. Yeah, Appreciate yeah, it. it's great to have you on. Uh, as always, we I always have a great conversation with you. I call you up and I say, I got a question on my mind that I'm thinking it's going to take five minutes, and we end up talking half an hour, and I waste your time, and I apologize for that. But it's your your wealth of information. Um, you're also highlighted in the new film that's out, which we're trying to highlight as well. And before we get into the things, let me just bring it up for the people who have not seen it. This is the trailer for Fallen Angel. Now, this was released on the 3rd. Uh, you can go to fallenangel.film to either rent the film or you can purchase it, which I did, um, and sat up really late till 1230 or so uh, watching it the other night. And uh, here is the trailer for that, and then we'll bring Don back into the picture here. Understand that a plane has crashed into the people who knocked these buildings down will hear all of us soon. Osama bin Laden claiming credit for the 9-11 attacks. The biggest and most costly manhunt in U.S. history is building to a crescendo. The United States killed Osama bin Laden. Sources say an elite division of the Navy SEAL carried out the operation. There are reports surfacing that Al-Qaeda has placed a 50000 U.S. dollar bounty on the heads of any U.S. Navy SEALs, dead or alive. Dude, I think they just got shot. Nobody's going to survive that. There's nobody in that. This is the single largest loss of life in Afghanistan in a single incident. Most of them are U.S. Navy SEALs. My job was to protect, and uh, that night, I wasn't able to do that. This flight should have been 10 minutes from wheels up to wheels down, but we lost communication with it. We've had two U.S. Army pilots verify that a black box was installed on Extortion 17. One of the more sensational stories is that the black box was washed away in a flash flood. Was there a black box? No, sir. So without a doubt, that black box was installed. We discovered bullets in the bodies of the Navy SEALs. The military threw them away. More likely than not, that supports a shootout on board. 
some of the families were told that the bodies were not identifiable. That is absolutely not the case. And in fact, their sons were cremated. I called the command. I said, why'd you cremate my son? My son didn't want to be cremated. Every American should be taught about what happened in Extortion 17. The families want to know the why. We owe that to them. The tragedy is the caliber of men that were lost. What we do know is that it is clear that someone wanted the truth out. Anybody out there, we have a fallen angel. A fallen angel. Roger. All right, that is the trailer for Fallen Angel. And uh, again, welcome back to the Sons of Liberty, Don. What, what's what's going on with this? Because this has just been released. Uh, what is the uh, the feedback that you're getting from some people maybe who have seen the uh, Fallen Angel in in the entire in its entirety? What what kind of feedback are you getting from people? Tim, the uh, first off, I want to thank you not only for having me again, but for sticking with the story, for sticking with these men who lost their lives, and for helping to continue to push for the truth. Over the years, it's been 10 years, and you and I have been together on this for a, a large portion of that time. Uh, then the feedback on the film, uh, it's been phenomenal. And before I even mention something about the feedback, let me just say that uh, this film, I, I was in Florida in the Palm Beach area previewing the film uh, for the premiere on Saturday night. And uh, we had a packed theater of about 150 in the, in the Regency Aid in Stewart, Florida which is right out just north of Palm Beach. If there was a dry eye in that theater after when that film finished, I don't know. I didn't see one. And uh, this is a very powerful and dramatic um, docudrama movie, uh, which brings this story to life kind of in a flesh and bones form. And I really appreciate the filmmakers, Stephen Spivey and Carl Hortzman for their, you know, brilliant and unrelenting work. The feedback we've gotten has been overwhelming. I'll, I'll give you one example of one one prominent viewer, and that's Sebastian Gorka, uh, President Trump's former Deputy National Security Advisor. Uh, I was uh, he was kind enough to interview me a couple of days ago on his show on um, on uh, Salem Salem Media, and uh, he told me even before we went on air that he was blown away by the film. He told me that he had not expected it to be anything like it was, uh, you know, uh, but when he saw it, it was extremely riveting. Told me he had not even been fully made aware of the story and was furious and incensed by some of the points being made in the film. Uh, Everywhere we, everything we've heard has been nothing but positive. And the thing that's so amazing about the story, even after 10 years, the largest loss of life, of American life in the Afghan war, the largest loss of life in the history of the U S Navy SEALs, 30 Americans all together, plus a military working dog. Um, and of course there are eight Afghans on board that flight as well. And still as a general rule, the public doesn't know about it. So the, the feedback has been overwhelming. We're very grateful. And I hope that all your viewers not only will either rent or purchase the film, but please spread the word as well. If there's anything that we can do as Americans, as freedom-loving Americans who want to put the Constitution first, put freedom first, who believe in natural law and everything that this program stands for, uh, the best thing we can do to honor these guys and honor those principles right now is to get the word out through this film. And I do hope and believe that there will be follow-up books written and there are people stepping forward. But if, but 
the long answer to your short question is that the feedback to date has been overwhelming and we're grateful for it. Amen. And it, 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 you know, I'm, I'm amazed. And I was telling you, you know, we had uh, when I first did the overview on Monday, all of the people. And then on Tuesday, when we had Stephen Spivey, who produced the film, uh, the, the, the number of people who were in the chat who said, what's going on here? When did this happen? I, I haven't heard about this. And now you're when you told me that uh, Sebastian Gorkin heard it, I'm like, OK, these are people who are supposed to be in the know. Uh, and they haven't heard about this, so I'm glad that this is getting out there. I'm glad that there is getting some coverage. I know some of the people involved, uh, of course, you know the Vaughns uh, with their son Aaron, and uh, also uh, Joni Marquez, who we're going to have. I'm going to be interviewing later today to have on tomorrow. You know, they're 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 getting on these shows <laughs> and they're able to tell the story. But the question is, are we going to see some justice out of it? Because there's clearly a cover-up that went on. We can speculate about the, the treasons part, about who all's been behind this and everything and whatever that is, but there's definitely a cover-up, and you're the man who has just... If people have not read your book, uh, Call Sign Extortion 17, The Shootdown of SEAL Team 6, and I've got the link to Don's books in the video description for those of you on video platforms. It's in the description. You can click on that and you can pick up that book. If you want to know what was in what was called the government's the government's version, the Colt Report, Don breaks all that down in there. And then, Don, you're showing some inconsistencies there with what the Colt Report had as well. Do you want to talk about, a little bit about that? I don't want to... You and I talked last night. We don't want to just rehash what's in the movie because we want people to see the film. But there's some things in the film that were talked about and some things that weren't. What's some things that led you to believe there's a cover-up going on with Extortion 17? One of the things that is uh, sort of previewed in the film as as was shown with that fabulous trailer, um, one of the big things that jumped out at me uh, when I began to review the materials and, and just as a background for some of your listeners who uh, might not be as familiar with how the book came about, um, to, th- this shoot down occurred, as you mentioned, 10 years ago tomorrow, August 6, 2011. And immediately the military sent a team in, dispatched by none other than General James, quote unquote, Mad Dog Mattis himself, uh, deputized a Brigadier General in the Army, and uh, who was, I believe, a, an avi- a helicopter aviator named Jeffrey Colt, General Jeffrey Colt, to go to Afghanistan to immediately start an investigation. Had it wrapped up within about, you know, three weeks. Really, really fast, rubber stamp type of investigation. Um, then, when the uh, when the investigation was complete in October of 2011, about 60 days or so after the shoot down, General Colt comes to Little Creek, Virginia, where he meets with members of the families of those who lost their lives. Little Creek, Virginia is where SEAL Team, the U.S. Navy SEALs are headquartered on the East Coast, and SEAL Team 6 is is near there. And General Colt uh, was briefing the families in the shoot-down. And one of the families, family members had the acumen to ask him about the black box. General, what happened to the black box on the helicopter? Well, General Colt gave this incredible story. He said uh, that, well, the black box was washed away in a flood. It's a real head scratch. Now, why is this black box significant, Tim? Because of the information we could get from it if we had it. This black box has uh, a, a cockpit data recorder. It has it monitors engines, but also has a cockpit voice recorder so that you can hear what the pilots are saying. 
this plane, this helicopter had been delayed inexplicably in landing for uh, over seven minutes by the time we shot down. We lost communication with it. And so that made no sense to me. And the, um, <clears throat> the military flip-flopped on its story on the black box. Um, you saw a little bit of that flip-flop in the in the, um, in the the uh, trailer that you just played, where a deputy secretary of defense for low-intensity conflict at the time, uh, Mr. Gary Reed, an Obama appointee, testified before Jason Chaffetz's subcommittee on um, – national security uh, uh that the black that uh, there was never a black box to begin with this was in 2014 so from 2011 to, to 2014 the military had this incredible story that the black box washed away in a flood and on the night of the shoot down they actually sent u.s army pathfinders into the site the chopper went down at 2 39 a.m at 2 4 at 4 14 a.m U.S. Army Pathfinders arrived on the site. Their sole job was to find a black box. They searched for it for three days. So that was the first clue, the inconsistency on the black box. There had been a delay in the flight, uh, and the government was flip-flopping on that story, and I knew something was wrong. The Pathfinder commander and uh, you know testified uh, before General Colt's investigating committee. It's the first time he'd never been able to find a black box. You ask how I know this. Well, let me go back to that October 2011 briefing in Little Creek, Virginia, where family members are brought in to be briefed by General Colt. And General Colt is standing before the families, briefing them with incredible uh, tall tales about black boxes washing away in floods, while there were several senior enlisted members who were passing out envelopes to certain family members which contained not only an overview of the general's report, but in some cases, a disc. You know, you, we don't see disc too much anymore because we've gone to everything's digital and, and flash drives. But these discs that were passed out, not much was said, but the disc, as it turned out, had nearly 1,250 pages of data, which supposedly supported the Colt report. The Colt report itself is only about 10 pages. Is commissioned by General Mattis and signed off on by General Colt. And it basically comes to the conclusion that nothing went wrong here. This shoot down was just a product of the fog of war. And it leaves everything out that is put into my book because we discovered a lot of these issues. For example, the Pathfinder commander saying we searched for three days for the black box. Pathfinder commander saying it's the first day, time we've never been able to find a black box. Those things were left out of the Colt report. The fact that we had eight unidentified Afghans on board that chopper left out of the Colt report. So there were a number of inconsistencies there I had seen. And I think maybe in the past you have played part of this clip. But in 2013, I got involved because I was surfing Facebook one day and uh, something popped up. It was about the shoot down of this helicopter. And I'd heard about it when it happened, but because it was buried um, I, I didn't have any details, but there was a press conference at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. And at that press conference, there were several family members, including Billy and Karen Vaughn, who I've become very close friends with. They're like family to me now. Uh, and uh, also um, uh, Charlie Strange and, and Doug Hamburger and his wife, all these families who lost their sons in this shoot down. And also at the press conference were several conservative members of the Congress, including at the time Alan West, who was a member of Congress at that time from Florida, also Louis Gomer, who is a is a real champion 
of, um, of freedom and, and also uh, several prominent uh, former high-ranking military officers, including uh, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, who's also become a good friend of mine, were all there. And it became clear as the families were talking that something wasn't quite right. And so I sent a, a you know, a, something told me, call it a lower baby, probably so. As a JAG officer, as you mentioned, I was a Navy JAG officer. I had handled a major aviation disaster when I was in San Diego, but an F-14 to go down. I handled that case all the way up through the federal court proceedings in U.S. District Court. So I had a background in a major aviation disaster, which is kind of a unique thing even for a JAG officer. So some said, you got to reach out to these folks. So I simply sent a Facebook message to Karen Vaughn. I said, Karen, listen, I saw your press conference. I'm an ex-JAG officer. I've handled a major, major aviation a disaster. If I can help you, just please let me know. Didn't know if I'd hear from her or not. Well, she writes about the next day and she says, listen, we've been praying about somebody to write this book. We'd love to meet you. So I drove down to Atlanta uh, within a, a couple of weeks and sat for three or four hours at Avon's. And at the end of that meeting was at a Denny's restaurant. Billy was looking at me in the eye. I didn't know if he could trust me or not. He slips a little flash drive across the uh, table, said, I think we can trust you. Take a look at this. And from that, I took that home to Charlotte, began to look at pages after pages of photographs and interviews and documents. And it was very, very, very clear there was a major cover-up going on. Tim, this is not only the loss of life in the history of the Navy SEALs. It may be the largest military cover-up in the history of the United States. And that's yep. kind of how I got involved in it. Yeah, exactly. I, You know, I, uh, when I first interviewed Billy and his wife, we had um, – we had met, they were doing some kind of tour here through, it was actually in Gastonia, which is right across the line here, just, you know, it's kind of a suburb of where you live. And uh, <clears throat> so we met, and he sent me the same items, and I was just going through it going like, wow, they just gave you this stuff? Um, and so it's quite, it's kind of big. And by the way, I had stored that, and Don was gracious enough to send it back to me. I don't know if I lost it on a hard drive. I've had a bunch of them crash. But I'm going to have that for you guys listening Okay, I'm going to have that cult report, all these pages of documentation. That's going to be linked in the archive this morning. If you want to read that alongside his book, because his book basically breaks it down for those of us who aren't in military and don't know the terms and all these things. It makes it real easy for us to understand what's going on there. And uh, I'm appreciative uh, to you for that, Don, because that allowed me to write simple articles that kind of focused on each little aspect of things that I thought were important, and you obviously thought were important enough to put in your book. So you've got all these things going on. You believe there's a cover-up. Now, there's a guy in the film, um, and you told me his name, and I've forgotten it, but he's the he's the guy who does the, the bullet forensics. What's his name? Don Nico. Don Nico. So mm-hmm. Don says... You know, there were bullets found inside of some of the seals. And instead of them keeping them for evidence, kind of like they should have done for, I don't know, 9-11, the Miami building that collapsed, they should have kept that stuff and, and looked at it for evidence, whether there's foul play or any of this kind of stuff. They just got rid of it. And uh, he's saying, all we need is a casing. We can tell whether or not somebody fired it or whether it's a, you know, it's there, there was a cook-off round or whatever. But even with that, you've explained... Cook-off rounds are not, don't have enough uh, velocity to them because they're not coming through a barrel. They're not against a solid object to you know, get that velocity to, to actually penetrate the body. And that's a, that's a big picture for a cover-up. 
And I wonder if you'll speak to that and maybe go back and can you cite some other issues with Dover Air Force Base and some corruption, maybe some twisting or getting rid of of evidence or things like that? Because I know they have a history of doing that. Well, I'm happy to do that. Um, As a background, uh, we were able to secure um, at least three autopsies. The autopsies of the bodies of these of these heroes, the autopsies are not part of the cult report. We got these through families. And in two of the three, we saw very, very, very disturbing language saying cook-off rounds found at autopsy, but discarded or thrown away as having no evidentiary value. And I want to stop right there. Not everybody knows what a cook-off round is. A cook-off round is a bullet. It's a bullet that cooks off or goes off when heated enough. In other words, if you were to take a box of 22 bullets and throw them in a bonfire, they might, they might uh, eventually get hot enough that they, that the fire, that the gunpowder ignites. Okay. And so people think that, well, if you have that happen, oh no, you're going to have an explosion. Well, right after world war two, our guys went home with, you know, their weapons and with hundreds and thousands of rounds of ammunition. And there were major fire departments in some of our major metropolitan areas who were concerned uh, what this is going to, if this is going to endanger our major metropolitan firefighters. So the army did a study at that time on cook-off rounds and came to the conclusion, correctly so, that a cook-off round heated, you know, in a fire if it goes off at all, and it doesn't always do that, um, really has no, it's not dangerous. It's kind of like the, Tim, I, Tim, you and I are old enough to remember the old Rice Krispie. You know, remember <laughs> yeah. Rice Krispie yep. commercial snap, crackle, pop. Well, the way I describe cook-off around a snap, crackle, pop, it just kind of pops and fizzes. You see, it's got to be inside of a rifle barrel. Uh, and even if it's inside of a rifle barrel and goes off, it still doesn't have the same power as if the hammer, you need a hammer striking that inside the casing of the shell itself, bam, the hammer strikes it usually in what we call a center fire type of weapon. And then there's an explosion of the gunpowder and then the bullet part travels at great velocity out of the rifle. So even a cook-off round heated in a, um, in a, um, a rifle and if it's aimed right at you is, unlikely almost impossible to penetrate the body and these guys were wearing kevlar vest which is going to knock down anything that doesn't have a lot of philosophy velocity anyway so when we saw cook-off rounds found and then discarded see that's that was kind of like you know a, a footnote thing i guess to throw people off most people don't know what a cook-off round is to begin with what's well, a bullet okay and and so these things were thrown away now get this tim before, at the point of the autopsy, weeks before General Colt's investigation was even concluded. And we've gone back and we've looked at the military pathology, pathology manual on this. The military pathology manual clearly requires that pathologist, who's an MD, to, to secure all evidence until the investigation is over. No photographs were taken even of these bullets you know, and they were not retained. They were thrown away. So therefore, uh, you know, if we had the bullets, we would know whether they were NATO round type bullets, like you would find in what we call a five, five, six or on the civilian side of two, two, three, 
or if they were Soviet rounds, like the 7.62s that you see in typical AK weapons that a lot of the Taliban uses, we just don't know. And, uh, and, and that happened at Dover. And so that, that was a big, big, big red flag. And let me just say, and I mentioned this to you yesterday, but, um, and by the way, these folks coming forward, like Joni Marquez and others, other folks have come forward since my book was written, whose names we didn't know. And um, I'm hoping and praying that this film, if we can get it out there, will cause witnesses to come out of the woodwork and give us more information. There is strength in numbers. If anybody's hearing my voice, and if you were there in Afghanistan, you knew something about this case, I'm at DonBrownBooks at gmail.com. You can reach out to Tim there, and you you have his email addresses also. But but folks have stepped forward, and uh, like Joni, and we had a, a, a military mortician that you're going to talk about her later named Crystal Wall who stepped forward, who who was there to receive the bodies. The military had said, for example, um, that there were no identifiable remains. That was given by a lieutenant colonel, a, mili- a Marine lieutenant colonel, David Lapin, who was a Pentagon spokesman on extortion 17 at the time. Because of the nature of crash, there are no identifiable, no identifiable bodies. And, you know, you can, you can Google you know, the Washington Post and Reuters for that time frame. If you go to Google and, and put no identifiable remains and, or David Lapin, and you do a time search from September 1 or, or from actually January 1 of 2011 to January 1, 2012, put you right in the time frame, you'll see that claim. And the mortician tells us, yes, there are not only some, were the, some of the bodies identified, but they, one of them had, a, had a, still had his beard on his face. She recognized uh, the faces were recognizable. So, um, you know, uh, so there was one lie after another with regard to how the bodies were treated. Um, there has been a history at Dover of botched investigations, or, or I should say botched autopsies and evidence getting mixed up and lost, things like this. But keep in mind, Tim, that, we, you know, all we're all equal in the sight of God, but in the, in the sight of the United States military, not all units are equal. And what we're dealing with here is SEAL Team Freaking Six, the most elite military unit, not only in the United States, but in the world. And you would certainly think that the greatest deal of due diligence and care would be taken in, in you know, trying to identify these bodies, uh, you, you know, and making sure uh, when autopsies were done, that all evidence is retained, not just thrown away. It isn't the job of, of a pathologist who is a doctor, and sometimes pathologists are a JDN. Sometimes they have a, 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 a legal degree all, also, but, but it isn't the job of a doctor to determine what is relevant or not. It's not even the That's job right. of a lawyer. That's it's, right. uh, it's up ultimately the job of the judge in our system, if yep. the system works right, to determine relevance. So all that stunk to the highest heaven. Everything, you know, there, there are multiple steps of cover-up shown here. Uh, and, and I about to mention a moment ago, Billy Vaughn and I were in, on Capitol Hill in 2017 meeting with um, the late former, the late Congressman Walter Jones, who was a, who had a champion, who was a champion of the heart of the military working man, a military warrior, not the brass, but the guys who are boots on the ground. We met with with Congressman Jones along with former Congressman Duncan Hunter and Congressman Matt Gates for over three hours. Uh, Congressman Jones at the time was the 
senior uh, uh, ranking member, the senior member, uh, the, in other words, the longest serving Republican, longest serving member of the House Armed Services Committee. Wasn't the chairman. Mac Thornberry from Texas is the chairman. But we worked with Walter Jones and, and laid this uh, case out to him, laid some of these points out to him. He was extremely concerned. He got with Chairman Thornberry and they, the House Armed Services Committee asked us to give them seven or eight questions that they wanted to put to the Pentagon. Billy Vaughn and I worked to craft those questions. We sent them to the House Armed Services Committee and then the Armed Services Committee uh, in an inquiry from Chairman Thornberry asked a number of questions. One was about, you know, the military pathologist throwing away the bullets. Another was about, are there are there Afghans buried in Arlington Cemetery? Basic stuff. Another was, what are the names of the Afghans who were on board this chopper? And seven Afghans, in fact, eight altogether, were on board this chopper. We There was a switch out. And we thought initially it was immediate because um, the senior enlisted uh, man, the Sar- command sergeant major who worked for General for Admiral McRaven told Billy Vaughn it was immediate. We've since learned the swap out actually occurred about two weeks before the flight, but the names were not accounted for, but there are Afghans on board this chopper at a time when what we call green on blue violence was at its height in Afghanistan. What is green on blue violence? That's Af- our Afghan quote unquote ally shooting our guys in the back. So it, it looks like something may have happened on this chopper. And when you look at black boxes disappearing with voice data recorders, when you look at Bullets found in bodies of the Navy SEALs, which should never have been there. When you look at military pathologists throwing away those bullets at the point of the autopsy, weeks before the investigation is over, it points to a stinking cover-up. And in my opinion, you know, Sebastian Gorka asked me, hey, what do you think happened? I said, well, I don't, Sebastian, I don't, I can't say a thousand percent, but I think this, there's powerful circumstantial evidence of a potential firefight or possibly even some sort of internal uh, explosive sabotage on board that chopper as it hung in the air. Uh, So the the cover-up is inexplicable. But yes, Dover does have a history of this, even of of incompetence, basically. Um, I think even um, C-SPAN has done some some reports on the problems they've had at Dover. Uh, I haven't watched them myself, but I'm aware of those. When I'm saying the problems at Dover, I'm talking about with the with the pathology and the uh, autopsies of guys coming back from Afghanistan, men and women coming back from Afghanistan. Um, but again, this was SEAL Team Six. This is the creme de la creme. You would think, you know, you've got uh, you've got this unit now with the largest loss of life in its history. You're going to have more care. And by the way, one other thing I wanted to add. I don't know if I've shared this with you in the past or not. But after I wrote the book, Tim, I was giving a um, uh, around 2017 or so, I was giving a, a PowerPoint presentation on Extortion 17 to a Republican uh, group up in the mountains of North Carolina, um, uh, Watauga County. I can't remember where I was. I was up, or or I might have been in Hickory. I believe it was in Hickory. But at the the conclusion of that uh, presentation, I had a gentleman come up to me and introduce himself. Uh, he's a former colonel in the Army who had, by chance, by happen chance, had been the our first CIA first station chief in Kabul at the beginning of the Afghan war. And he said, you know, something's not quite right about this. You know, first of all, SEAL Team 6, he said, the CIA, and this, this is a stunner to me, which I didn't know when I wrote the book. A couple of things I didn't know when I wrote the book. 
But he told me that the CIA had taken operational control of SEAL Team 6 at the beginning of the Afghan war. What? Yep. Let me repeat that. The CIA took operational control of SEAL Team 6 at the beginning of the Afghan war. And uh, and the colonel said SEAL Team 6 would never be flown would never be flown as a QRF. In other words, the, one of the fishy things about this okay, report you, is that Bron- Don, hold on a second. Tell people cuz they're they're probably not familiar with this. Yeah. What is a QRF? Just getting ready to do that. That QRF is the acronym for Quick Reactionary Force. In other words, they would have been the, one of the stories told is this this mission was launched because the SEALs were going to rescue army rangers who were in trouble, which is a lie from the pit of hell. Rangers were never in trouble. Okay, so it wasn't a QRF, even though the military at one point claimed that it was. All right, so it was launched as that. But the colonel said, hey, we'd never fly SEAL Team 6 as a QRF. They're too valuable of an asset to do that. And they would be going after very high, you know, level targets like Osama bin Laden. And, and then he told me that, C- that the CIA had taken operation control of, of uh, SEAL Team 6 to begin the war. I researched him. He was correct. Matter of fact, if you go back and you research now, uh, there are articles even in the New York Times and the Washington Post and other liberal rags. By the way, the New York Times is a liberal, worthless rag uh, in terms of its political stances. Sometimes, it's some, it's sometimes, you know, their war correspondents have done a decent job in covering things. Okay, so, you know, I know we want to throw out the baby with the bathwater. That's our natural reaction. But their war correspondents sometimes, sometimes, not always, sometimes have done a decent job of war coverage over in Afghanistan. But they have reported that even Operation Neptune Spear, the very famous uh, operation of May 1, 2011, in which Navy SEALs were credited with they were outed, I should say, and for uh, when they when they killed Osama bin Laden, as the story goes, uh, they reported that even that was a CIA-controlled mission. Go look it up yourself, Tim. Wow. And I'll say this: um, Admiral McRaven, who was Admiral McRaven, was the SOCOM commander, the Special Operations Commander over the SEALs, who never was a part of SEAL Team Six himself, who. Uh, some of you know may, may know later, um, you know, bashed President Trump in an op-ed because President Trump had yanked John Brennan's security clearance, and that was a good move. Uh huh. It was a good move. <laughs> yep. And but, but McRaven, you know, jumped on the deep state bandwagon and attacked the president at the time. McRaven, the the same Admiral McRaven who got into an argument with Billy Vaughn over Obama in the Vaughn's home. Okay. Um, th- this, uh, what was I saying, Tim? I lost track of my, what was, <laughs> well, what was I saying before I went off track? Well, you were, you were dealing with the issue of the CIA and, you know, yeah, I'm fascinated yeah, right, by right, that because right. the CIA has right. been running drugs here right. in America. Okay. While, while the, the puppets uh, and all of them are guilty of it, Republican and Democrat, they're, yeah. they're all saying, Oh, we, we want a war on drugs, which has done nothing but violate the rights of, of, of Americans, right. law-abiding Americans, I might add, and then they're they're um, involved in manipulating the media around the world. And now you're telling me, what other thing, what other operations or stuff have the CIA been involved in to where they're actually controlling entire military units? Is this a common thing for them? Well, f- first off, what I was, I'll, I'll answer that if I can. I'll try anyway. But what I was going to say, McRaven, before I went off track for a second. 
uh, about his, his disagreement argument with Billy Vaughn in their home in 2013 is that you, you can Google this and look it up yourself. Admiral McRaven moved all the records of this mission that is Operation Neptune Spear, the mission to kill bin Laden. He moved it to the CIA in order to avoid the ability to get most of it through FOIA. And you, you can Google that as well. And the FOIA is the Freedom of Information Act. And it's harder to get stuff that the CIA sits on because they have everything classified. Uh, so he caught some flack at the time for that, for moving uh, operational details of the mission to the CIA. They, they commanded the mission anyway uh, to avoid Freedom of Information at request. You can check that, Tim. Look it up. It'd be something interesting to follow up on. It's an interesting segment in and of itself. Yeah. But to your question, um, I'm not aware of. I'm not aware. Let me just say this: of the CIA taking operation control, operational control of any other military units or of any um, any unit in Afghanistan. But of course, SEAL Team Six is a unit unlike any other unit, which is designed by the way it's built to engage in covert attacks. You know, they, they, they were designed and built to pull off the operate, the assuming that everything went down as they tell us. Yeah. They're, they're very surgical in their strikes. They're not, you know, yes. carpet bombing guys. That's correct. You, you never know they're there. They come in, they wreak havoc and they take care of things. And they were hitting high value targets, high intensity targets. Uh, they are our most elite military unit and the CIA, um, took control um, because the CIA was feeding them information on where they believed certain targets were. And so to me, that was stunning. And, uh, and uh, if we get a chance, if we get a chance to update the book, that'll be covered as well. But you can, I, I just encourage your readers, encourage you to Tim, just go back and, and Google uh, some of that, just Google CIA and SEAL Team 6 and, uh, and read about the control that they had over the bin Laden mission. I found actually, and I was trying to, I was trying to find it again the other day, but I actually found the um, the executive order that was signed uh, transferring the CIA to control of, excuse me, the SEAL Team Six to control the CIA at the beginning of the war. And it's interesting, you know, because um, when you talk to Johnny, if you talk to her tomorrow, you might ask her about one interesting aspect: her AC-130 gunship. That was a gunship watching this helicopter overhead, which had control of the battle space as it moved toward its landing zone. They were watching Extortion 17 fly in. She'll tell you they got into an argument with the talk center, with, with flight control, about, you know, why are you flying this mission in here? There's no need for a QRF. The Rangers had re- requested an exit. The Rangers kicked ass against the Taliban that night. They didn't need the SEALs to come in. So the gunship was saying, turn them around, turn them around. No. Gunship was saying, well, request permission to fire. In other words, they saw Taliban on the ground moving toward the landing site with long cylindrical objects, as Johnny will say. Okay, the, They're enemy combatants. The AC-130 requests permission to take them out. Permission denied. This request was given several times. Permission denied. And uh, and uh, by the way, I, Joni, you saw Joni um, in, that, in that clip. She's yep. an amazing, yep. brave young lady she is what a wonderful lady uh, because she stepped forward before they call that conspiracy theory you know they call you conspiracy theorist tim they call me that everything's conspiracy theory until evidence starts to emerge 
into more evidence. Well, he had evidence anyway, but the conspiracy theory is the is the war cry of the le, the intellectually lazy. Well, it's the it's the coin it's the yeah. coin turn of the CIA to shut down dissent of the report that came out about JFK assassination. That's what they used to try to shut people up. And the fact of the matter is, Don, every good detective, it doesn't matter if they're in the police, the military, or the, the, or the, um, or, or the federal government, wherever they're at, they start with a working theory as to what goes on. And as soon as they, they come to a conclusion that there's more than one person involved, that becomes a conspiracy theory. And they look to prove that theory. And that, right. so when people use that, it's kind of like them calling racist. It rolls off my back like, you know, water off a duck's back. But let, let me throw this in here just a second. You know, we have a registered nurse who um, contributes to Sons of Liberty Media. We had her on yesterday with Lynn Taylor, uh, Suzanne Hamner. And she was saying that when she was doing her, her her undergraduate stuff, she said one of the first things you learn about is in an autopsy is you don't throw anything away. I know we're kind of past that a little bit, but I want to let you continue talking. She said, we learned that as civilian nurses and doctors, you don't throw anything away because you don't know what's evidence and what's not. What you might think is insignificant may turn out to be, you know, the the missing puzzle piece in whatever you're trying to solve. And so I, I think that's that's interesting that she would say that as somebody who's in civilian life and in the medical industry or medical field. And then, you know, what you're talking about took place there in Dover. I think that's a big deal. And then this CIA, see, you're dropping another bombshell here. And we're going right. to get to the one that, that we're going to talk about here next. But you're dropping that bombshell. I, you know, I can't. I'm going to look that up, and we're going to see about you know where we can go. Maybe we can put something out on that. But that's a bombshell in and of itself that the CIA is actually controlling the most elite special forces that we have in the world, and then all of this comes down. So before we get to the bombshell, and Don, let me ask you this. we got about five minutes here, so I'm, I'm assuming it might take a little longer than five minutes. Can you stay over with us a little bit, or do you have a, a appointment? No, I'm happy to stay over. This is This is... This okay. is what I did. This okay. is worth it. So we'll, we'll have overtime here, I know, because there's no way we're going to get in it. Let's ask the question here. If there's a cover-up, and you believe there is, and I believe there is, okay? Well, I know from, there is. Yeah, for the information we have, then who should we suspect is behind the cover-up and why? Who should we suspect? Yep. Certainly the Pentagon's behind it. The Pentagon was behind it from the beginning because, in my opinion— uh, you know, I was on with uh, with uh, Dennis Prager the other day, and he said, why would the Pentagon want to cover up? I said, well, first off, there were, there were eight Afghans on board that chopper. Most Americans didn't know it. If if the if the truth is, as I suspect, that there may have been an inside job, that would have been embarrassing politically to the Obama administration at one year before the 2012 election. It would have blown the theory that the Afghans can be reliable partners and allies like as if we were fighting alongside the Brits. It's not the same thing because you don't know who's radicalized and who isn't. Um, and, and it would have been an embarrassment to the Karzai administration. So initially, there are political reasons to cover it up. Um, if something else, uh, there, there may be other information above and beyond that. You've asked me, you know, who would and why the Pentagon and the Obama administration certainly had plenty of incentive to, to cover up for political reasons. And, you know, if the, uh, the if the, the CIA may have reasons, there's another bombshell I'll suggest that you ask Joni about. And I don't know if we have time to go into it now or if you don't wait till after the break, but I want to 
share something with you. That I'll, I'll feed you a question for tomorrow. You got a couple of minutes now. Or you want to wait till after the break? Well, I tell you what. I don't want to. I don't want to play a game with the people who are on the radio because we have put it out. We're going to give the bombshell. So I, I want to do that first. Can you hold that? I'll ask her later today because we're going to interview her today. Play it in the morning. But uh, let's get to the bombshell because I don't want to. I don't want to be one that you know pulls a Geraldo Rivera and keeps people over there. Let's start that. Let's start this bombshell now, and let's continue it over. Okay. There's a lady in the film. Uh, her name is Crystal, and I, was her last name Wall? Crystal. She was Crystal Wall at the time. Okay, correct. so not Crystal Ball. Crystal Wall. You can't make this stuff up. It, it, I mean, it's just it's kind of interesting. I think maybe parents have a sense of humor sometimes. She gave a bombshell uh, to you, and I want you to share that with the audience. We got about two minutes or so. Can you share that bombshell, and maybe we can expand upon that after we close out the show. And people on Red State Talk Radio, you can join us on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, right side of the page, or BeforeIt'sNews.com for the remainder of the interview. Do you want to share that bombshell with us? Happy to do that. Crystal Wall was a Navy mortician stationed in Millington, Tennessee. She was a petty officer second class, had been in the Navy around three years. She came forward, met with me and Billy Vaughn in 2018. We interviewed her in Florida. And she was extremely troubled by what she had seen. The week before the shootdown, the week leading up to the shootdown itself on August 6th, all that week, she says that the Navy Mortician Command had initiated a mass casualty drill every day leading up to the shootdown. This had never happened before in her career in the Navy. Never a mass casualty drill. Uh, we, we haven't. We've been fortunate enough not to have a lot of mass casualties in the Navy since World War II. Usually in the Navy, you have a mass casualty when you lose a ship. That Fortunately, that's not happened too much since World War II. We've had deaths, but not mass casualty deaths. We had an explosion uh, on the on one of our carriers that Senator McCain was involved in, but, but generally not much. Every day leading up to this shootdown, they were having this strange mass, mass casualty drill in the Navy Mortician Command. Right up to the morning of the shootdown at four in the morning on August the 6th, Crystal gets a call and it's her boss. And he says, be prepared to fly to Dover Air Base. We have a mass casualty. Crystal thought it was part of the drill. She was shocked to find out it was the real thing. Now, wow. Tim, tell me that is a coincidence. No, I don't think it is. And why it's such a bombshell is you guys all know, all of you, many of the listeners here are smarter than I am. They're more well-informed than I am. You know that when there's mass shootings here in the United States, what do we find out? DHS or local police or the sheriff's department or state troopers, whatever, are conducting drills based on the same thing almost the same day in the same vicinity. And then we know on 9-11... They were conducting a scenario, a drill, if you will, of the same scenario of what was actually going on, and that's why so many people were confused uh, as to what was taking place. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this up real quick. Uh, if you want to check out Don Brown, go to donbrownbooks.com. You can find all his books there. You can also go to Amazon and find him there, Don Brown, and uh, check out some of his books. A lot of it is fiction, but he's got some nonfiction works there as well. You guys, hang on. We're going to be right back with Don Brown. You guys at Red State Talk Radio, SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. See ya. Okay, that's a lot to get out in one one quick breath. But uh, we want to welcome people who might be coming over from Red State Talk Radio. And uh, we appreciate you guys hanging on with us. And Don, I wanted to get that in because... I wanted to keep the bombshell to the end of the show, but I wasn't trying to cut it that close, and I certainly wasn't trying to get people to just hang over for the other. That's 
I mean, I, you know, I understand that we have an hour show and I'm wanting to try to fit that in. So that's why we went there. Let's continue this and uh, elaborate maybe a little more on this. And then what you wanted to, to put forth as a, a question for Joni that I'll be sure to write down and ask her today. But this to me is a big deal because <clears throat> if you're saying, and how long was, uh, was a crystal in the service here and had never seen this take place, this kind of drill? I believe she told us it was three years. Okay. You now know, she she had she been a mortician on the on the civilian side and was recruited into the navy. I think she said it was three years. And okay. It's just a very very strange occurrence. Let me kill my um, alarm clock here. I apologize. <laughs> That's all right. Thought I killed it. It may go again. And I, I might have hit the snooze instead of the turn off. I have multiple alarms in the morning to make sure I don't sleep. But anyway, um, I, I believe she said it was three years, Tim, that she'd been in the service. And uh, and it was basically it was a strange thing. Everybody thought it was strange. They were setting up for mass casualties. They were you know, doing uh, identification drills. How they would get their uh, KCO officers out and how they would handle you know a, num- a number of bodies come in like that. And so, but they it wasn't a one day thing. It was an all week thing, leading up to the morning of the shoot down. Almost like it was the shoot down itself was a continuation of the drill. Stra- strange. Um, Extremely strange, Crystal. And one, one thing that we've seen about the the wonderful military veterans who have come forward, who have been involved in this, they, there's a common denominator, a common denominator among them all, the, who who were there on the ground or saw either the the aftermath of the shoot down. Um, Nick Moore being one, Trip Hamilton being one, Joni being one. They all suffered from unbelievable, uh, what I would describe as a post-traumatic stress syndrome, unable to sleep. Nick Moore says in the, in the movie that one of his, his men took, who witnessed it took their own life a few months later. Many of them thought about suicide themselves because of what they had seen. Uh, and, and to lose so many members of SEAL Team 6 in one swath was a blow to the morale of the entire military in Afghanistan. Uh, I mean, th- these guys were viewed as sort of superhuman type of warriors. And to show that they are vulnerable, under, and especially under questionable circumstances, is the morale killer. So yeah. for three years, and I can tell you Crystal was extremely, you know, Crystal tells us that uh, – you know, she was extremely shaken by this and 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 had to come forward. Joan, both Joan and Crystal had to come forward to get it off her chest because it was tormenting them so much. Yeah. And Nick Morris come forward as well. And we, you know, we appreciate them. And I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, a year from now or maybe even less than that, you'll have me back on and we'll have a number of other witnesses who have come forward to help shed even more light on it. You know, you, you asked a minute ago about justice. When does justice come? Bible says justice is mine, saith the Lord. Come on. But truth precedes justice. That's right. And so our part is to continue to expose and continue to pray. Uh, and eventually it will come. 
Well, it's not, it's not only that, Don. What you're saying right there is in line with the Bible, too. The Bible says two or three witnesses confirm the matter. That's Old and New Testament, people. I know some of you guys out there listening, you're, you're, you're in this dispensational thing of the laws back there in the Old Testament, and Israel's some kind of modern geopolitical kind of structure. It's not. Neither one of those are true. The law is still here. The Israel of today is composed of Jews and Gentiles in Christ. If, read Ephesians 2, if you don't believe me. says it right there. He's made us one new man. He's not going to rip us apart. This is what Christ paid, prayed, uh, paid for, and he also prayed for as well. And so, Don, you're right in line with what Scripture says. You're wanting the witnesses. You're wanting to bring justice, and that's the way it's got to be done. It's got to be done with the truth. It's got to be done with witnesses. And uh, I, I'm glad that these, you know, it, it, it's it's interesting. We've got these ladies coming forward. Now we have uh, Nick also coming forward. And I'll tell you, anybody, and I know the film is rather expensive for a film. You know, you can buy it for 30 bucks. It's it's expensive in my book. I'm very frugal in that. But considering this is not, they don't have Hollywood dollars behind it. They don't have, you know, all this stuff. And it's a really, really well done docudrama. It really is. And the thing is, is what you'll, what you'll see in there is you'll see the actual footage. I'm assuming this is from the gunship itself, Don, that they're showing there. That some of it's in the trailer. But they're actually seeing the fireball that Extortion 17 became that burned for, what, a couple of hours? And then they're actually locating bodies on the ground uh, via that camera. It's pretty incredible, the technology, what they use, but they're actually seeing that. And then there are people, not only like Joni, who's seeing that from the sky, but there are people on the ground, like uh, uh, Nick and, and his crew, as they come in, the rangers, as they come in, and these people are forever changed at what they see. And, you know, I thought about this last night because I was thinking, you know, we're going to talk about some of this. And I, I think to myself, I've never seen a dead body except in a casket. I've never seen someone actually die, you know, the process of dying. I've never seen where they took their last breath. And I, I'm sure in my life I'm going to see it eventually, especially the older you get. They say, you know, when you're young, life is giving you everything. And then as you get to a certain age... It seems that God is is in his in his providence taking things away because the older you get, obviously you lose friends, you lose acquaintances, and things like that. And so I'm I'm assuming I'm gonna see that. But these guys are coming up and like you said, they have such a uh, maybe an awe for the Navy SEAL and frankly, who doesn't? When you see what these guys go through, it's a pretty incredible thing that, you know, they become the elite by holding on longer than the other guys did. And, uh, you know, really enduring. It's almost, uh, we could point to scriptures that talks about us. You know, the, the one who uh, endures to the end will be saved. This is perseverance of the saints, not always saved, once saved, always saved people. Uh, th- those are the ones who, who are saved. They're, in, they're the ones who endure in the faith. And so, with that said, you, you, had, a, you had a question that you want me to ask Joni, and I want you to pose that question. I'm going to kind of take it down here, because if you're saying there's got to be a question to ask, then I want, I want to ask that question. Well, and it goes back to what I, I shared with you earlier, that we discovered the CIA had taken operational control of SEAL Team 6 at the beginning of the Afghan war in 2001. Now, Joni, and by the way, the, the, the footage that you're seeing, we believe, 
is from Apache gunships, which are, which are okay. actually closer to the ground, much closer than the AC-130. Okay. But back to the question. The, this AC-130 is circling overhead. They're watching everything. They're watching the helicopter move toward the landing zone. They're saying, please, let us take the Taliban out. And they're, they're dangerous. They are they're growing in numbers. They have large cylindrical objects, which are believed to have been RPGs. Um, permission was denied. Then please turn the chopper around. Permission denied. Well, a few minutes later, now get this, this AC-130 that had been watching this helicopter move toward the landing zone is ordered to break off and to yield observation to a civilian contractor's aircraft whose identity is top secret. In other words, the final few minutes of this flight up until the shoot down were not watched by the AC-130 because the AC-130 was ordered to break off and yield to this civilian contractor's aircraft for observation. So why would you have a military AC-130 break off observation and yield to a civilian contractor's aircraft whose identity is top secret? That contractor's aircraft was watching overhead Wow! at the time of the shoot-down. Wow. The AC-130 came back on and began to observe after the shoot-down. Joni herself did not see the moment of the shoot-down. They had been ordered to break off. Okay? Ask her about that. Ask her about the aircraft that took, began observing. First, they began observing the Taliban moving to the landing zone and said they lost the Taliban moving to the landing zone. We don't know exactly who that aircraft is. I have a, I suspect I know who it might be. But, I, but all I know is that it was a civilian contractor's aircraft whose identity was top secret. And I ask, why would a civilian contractor's aircraft be monitoring a military situation on the ground? Ask for that. Wow, that's that's really incredible. Now, that's a, you've dropped about three bombshells. We were only going going for one, but you dropped three here. Did she, Was she the one that let you know that that's what had went on? Yes, she did. She did. We didn't know... Um, it wasn't clear um, that, uh, you know, it was clear that she'd not actually seen the point of the shoot down itself. Um, I mean, we, we do have radio gun tape where somebody said, wow, they just got shot. I think they got shot. Uh, and then somebody said they're down. So we're hearing audio traffic from the Apache. See the, so you have a gunship circling up at, they're probably at 5,000 feet or so. And then you have, these uh, two Apache helicopters are down lower, probably at a little over a thousand feet, much closer to the ground or closer to extortion. So we're hearing some of their gun tape, but no, it was Joni who broke the revelation. They've been ordered to break off observation and yield to a civilian contractor's aircraft, which was observing during the final moments of this flight. Wow. Before the shoot now. Well, this Which, to me, this is like when um, you know I had my first interview with Billy Vaughn, and he said, "Tim, he said, you know, they were running, you know, a few operations a month in Afghanistan on this this uh, Vietnam era Chinook helicopter instead of the the things that the, whatever the particular I don't know what the particular uh, helicopter they were using for all of their missions before, but he says it was much faster, it was much sleeker." Uh, but that, now they're put onto this thing, and he said they ramped it up to where they were running. The, the seals were running like 300 missions a month. I mean, I can't even imagine that. That's like, what is that? that that's like 10 a day, 
that they're running. He's he's talking about them constantly just being used up in that fashion. And I'm right. I'm sitting here going, man, when do these guys get a rest? I mean, you you can't just you're a man, and no matter how superhuman you may think you are, you're still a man. There's got to be time for rest. There's got to be time that you, I don't know, decompress from that just for a little bit instead of just constantly running and and being involved in that. And he said, here's the Afghans who are basically in charge of every special operations. They say whether it's a go or whether it's not. They can call it off in the middle of it or they can keep it going. They can change things up or all this stuff. And I was just blown away. I was like, what are we doing turning our guys that are supposed the you know our found, first of all our founding fathers didn't want a standing army they didn't want that now we have it because it's re-upped every 2 years because the constitution says it has to be and here we are taking guys who are supposed to defend us and we're sending them over there and we're working them like a dog and then we put them in harm's way. We 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 sit uh, sit here and do things like what you're saying here. We take off the eyes of their sister in arms, their brothers in arms who are in this this gunship. That we take them off uh, of looking after these guys, and we put some kind of civilian contractor aircraft in there that we can't know. I now, Don, you're a former Navy Jack. When you hear that, what would be the reason? What would be the? Would there be some legitimate reasons? why that aircraft and its occupants would be uh, classified. Um, first off, I, I can see no legitimate reason that a civilian aircraft would would take operational control of observing a military situation on the ground unless, unless there was some sort of emergency with the military aircraft and there was no other option. I don't understand. I, I see no legitimate military reason for that. Uh, and and I, I see no reason why that civilian aircraft should be there to begin with, nor do I see a reason why contractors, and this is a whole big deal, using civilian contractors to fight a war. No, I see no reason that that should ever happen. Um, you know, I, I believe in the principle of civilian control of the military, but that is civilian control through the Congress, which raises the money for the Army and the Navy and sets regulations for the Army and Navy. And right. The president, who constitutionally is commander-in-chief, that's where the civilian control comes in. Not a an agency aircraft. Now, if it were a Department of Defense uh, aircraft, uh, if it were, I, I kind of doubt that it was, but, you know, at least there is, at least you could make the argument that this is part of the civilian control over the military, but civilian control of the military doesn't mean operational control on the ground at the point that, that the guns are being fired. It means that the mili- military units report to civilian authority under the Constitution. So it's a, it's a head-scratcher. It's almost as if someone, you know, you, w- you wonder why that would happen. And why would that happen in the final minutes before the shoot now, at a time when back in, in Memphis, Tennessee, at Millington, Naval Air Station, Navy morticians are at that very moment have been engaging in a mass casualty drill. Why would that happen? Um, again, the, the deeper we get into this, as more people come forward, there are more questions than there are answers. And I can speculate, but my speculation, that plus 75 cents will almost get you a cup of coffee McDonald's if they're still 
selling <laughs> coffee yeah. after the pandemic. They're not selling hardly anything else anymore. The quote unquote pandemic, I should say. Um, but I, but here's the thing. I would say your speculation is based off of what you actually know, what we're actually getting. And, you know, uh, I listened, you know, I think I, when I talked with Stephen, you know, he was saying, oh, you know, probably uh, the, the Obama administration, Biden and Panetta, you know, they let the cat out of the bag because they're wanting, you know, media on this to build them up. Oh, they're the, the killers of bin Laden and, and they want a lot of media on this and they're going to get political points. And I'm, I have no doubt that that's going on. But I got to tell you, with who these guys are in bed with, I would not be shocked or surprised to know that they set these guys up. And I mean, I'm just going to say it. I, I I think that's that's what's going on, is that they set them up. There is just no way you're going to have all of this this stuff. A CIA control over SEAL Team Six. You're going to have uh, this other ship come in when you already have military eyes on what's going on there, and then classify them. You're not going to have uh, you know pathologists take and throw away evidence. Uh, I, I mean, I, I'm not even a doctor. I haven't. I don't play one on TV. I haven't spent the night in a Holiday Inn Express either. And I didn't go to graduate school or any of that other stuff. And it's it seems common sense to me. You just don't do stuff like that. So it's not only a cover-up. There's got to be somebody behind in our government who's behind setting these guys up to be killed. I, I just, I, it reminds me of, uh, you know, the Operation Red Wings. I mean, how did the, how did the people know where that small team of, of of guys were at. How did they know? And then how did they know this other uh, Chinook was coming in with all these other members of the military on it uh, in a rescue effort? How did they know? I mean, without somebody on the inside giving them the stuff. Now, again, it's speculation. I don't have anything to point fingers at somebody else. But I think it's circumstantial here, Don, that... That this is a legitimate question to ask. Who in our government put the target on the backs of these guys? And we know at least publicly, Biden and Panetta did it, and they they painted who who these guys were, and then you know, lo and behold, just months later, these guys are dead. And the guys knew it. They were telling their families, "Clear all your stuff off social media. We're setting our affairs in order." You know, and that's a great thing. I, I got to tell you, the courage of these men. To know the that the 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 their own government had painted the target on their back, and they they didn't cut bait and run. They told their families because they loved them. Look, watch out for yourself. Clear this stuff off. Stay low, and they set their affairs in order. And they went back to doing their job. Tells me the kind of courage and the caliber of character of these men who were you know killed aboard Extortion Seventeen, man. I have to agree. Um, I have to agree. You know, you talk about circumstantial evidence. I've tried a number of cases in front of a number of judges and juries in my career. Uh, one of the reasons I have my, the hair has turned gray these days, I'm grateful for what little I've got left. But, <laughs> but all that aside, when we finish a jury trial, the judges in America and, and in the British system of jurisprudence, even before then, will read what we call instructions to a jury. And one of the instructions always is on what we call circumstantial evidence. And a judge will tell you in every courtroom in America that the law, listen to this, the law makes no distinction between circumstantial evidence and direct evidence. The classic example of circumstantial evidence is this. Look out the window in the morning and the ground's wet. 
and you know your your uh, re- your gutters are dripping and the streets wet. Well, you didn't, but it's not raining now, and you didn't see it rain overnight. But there's evidence that it has rained. Right now, it's possible it could be something else. Somebody could have gone out with a water hose and sprayed the whole neighborhood down, but that's not likely. People have are you know if you see snow on the ground, but you haven't seen it snow, but you see the evidence that's left behind. Um, and, and there have been many people who have been executed based upon circumstantial evidence alone, even though they weren't actually witnessed uh, pulling the trigger. So the circumstantial evidence is very, very, very powerful here on multiple fronts. So there's there's no need, need to apologize or to give a caveat for circumstantial evidence. The law makes no distinction between that and direct evidence. You like to have direct evidence or direct evidence, you know, is, is stronger because you have one piece of the puzzle that shows the picture. With circumstantial evidence, you have multiple pieces of the puzzle, which you're building around, uh, you know, the completed puzzle, and you know what you're looking for in the middle. But everything else around it shows you what you look, which piece you're looking for to complete it. So that's what it's about. And the circumstantial evidence here, cover up, and if somebody knowing about this and somebody possibly knowing about it in advance is pretty, is pretty powerful. Yeah. And when you couple that with the new revelation of who was controlling these missions and this business with the aircraft and you know, bullets being thrown away. And uh, it's it just, it's just beyond comprehension to think that this has happened. I agree. Uh, in this country. You know, Don, we, we got a question in the chat and uh, it's uh, Diane asking, why would they want SEAL team six dead? Uh, well, Diane, SEAL team six is the, are the ones who are attributed. And it's not just the guys who were on that, that uh, particular helicopter there, there's a number of people who make up SEAL Team 6 outside of those guys as well, but they're the ones attributed with the alleged killing of Osama. I'm going to tell you, Don, I just I don't know that I can buy anything they're telling us about it. I know they said they've done DNA checks to verify it this time and all this other, but I'm just cynical about that. If they're going to lie to us about all the other stuff that they're lying to us, I'm just cynical about it. But in any case, they were the they were the team that was said to have taken out Osama bin Laden in Pakistan. So uh, that was part of it. And some have theorized that there's a trade-off between the Taliban uh, getting some kind of you know blood, their pound of flesh or whatever for taking out their quote unquote leader. By the way, their you know Al Qaeda it was created by the CIA. I mean, just uh, you go back into Afghanistan in the 80s. We were working with Osama bin Laden then. And uh, yeah, all of this is, is that way. Don, hang on for me a second. Oh, actually, hang on for me a second. I just want to make a quick insert, and then I want to give you time to kind of uh, plug your site and your books. But I, I meant to do this at the, at the first, and for what I got it pulled up, but I always forget. I just want to make people aware. On Telegram, there's a channel called The Prisoner's Record. And I want you guys to make sure that you go and support the political prisoners. Look, everybody knows I've been critical of Trump, but these are Americans who wanted to go and they wanted to make sure the rule of law was preserved concerning the election. And they wanted the rightful guy who won the election to be seated. They weren't violent. They didn't really commit any crimes. And yet they're being held. Many of them are being treated in inhumane conditions, not being let out of their cell 24 hours a day, not given water. They're having to beg for water. We've had one, I believe he's passed away. I, I shared that with you the, yesterday. He's passed away since he's been in jail. This is uh, Joseph Lino Padilla. Um, and the story is here. This is put out by Professor David Clements. We've had him on the show several times. I'm just going to read a couple of these names off. This is Douglas Jensen. 
Uh, many of these guys have wives, children. He, Douglas is a husband of 25 years and three children. Um, we've got uh, Michael Foy. We've got, and again, they're trying to put up one a day, but I can't keep up with them because people keep adding people in here. Peter Steger. And uh, let's see, we've got Julian Cater. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. K-H-A-T-E-R. We, um, Ryan Nichols. I mean, this guy's a, uh, you know, here are guys who serve their country and they go to protest, which is a right they have under the First Amendment. And you know what? That Capitol building is the people's building. It's not... You're not trespassing by going in there. I just this this nonsense of that is ridiculous. They weren't trying to destroy the republic, as these liars who are actually trying to do it are doing. We've got George uh, Tanios, and again, I hope I'm pronouncing these names correctly. We've got uh, Shane Jenkins. I'm not going to go through all of them. There's so many. Daniel Goodwin, and these people are being treated as though they're the Taliban, or how the Taliban should be treated. Let me put it that way. Paul Hodgins, Hodgkins, and yet they're Americans who didn't harm a soul. We've got um, Dominic Pozzola, and there's some others here. I just want to make you guys aware of it. I'm going to have, again, the link to the prisoner's record on Telegram uh, so you can either help help the families uh, financially or with your prayers, maybe words of encouragement, and so you can help the, the prisoners themselves. Look, Political prisoners should not be happening in America, but it's been going on for decades. And I tell you, until the people get, I'm really convinced until the people get hungry bellies, they're not going to do squat about this. They're going to sit back and say, well, I've got my food. You know, hey, it's a really bad thing, but they've got to do something. Same thing here with Extortion 17. They can say, man, this is really bad. I knew it was bad. And they can be cynical all day long. And and we should be cynical about this thing when we're dealing with corruption. But there's got to come a time, you know, Don where the people have to say, you know what? All you corrupt people up there in D.C., you're doing, your day is done. And I'm not talking about standing up and taking to a protest. I'm talking about bringing them to justice, real criminal justice, the way our forefathers used to do. You know, once they're, they put them through due process, and once they're dealt with, you don't stick them in a jail cell. You, you hang them out there in public. You, you bring the judgment of God upon, you be the instrument, the means of God's judgment upon them, because the Bible tells us when he, when God said, you have a rock party with false teachers, you have a rock party with these people who commit capital crimes, and you do so, so that the people may learn to fear. Fear not committing the same sin, the, the transgression of the law, that those they watch die, and the people are going to have a hand in it. They're not going to want to do it either, and they're going to want to do it as little as possible, and, uh, you know, I think there's some, some justice that needs to be laid out, not only for these political prisoners, but also for the members of Extortion 17. Don, I'm going to give you the final word, and uh, feel free to plug your, your websites as well. Well, thanks again, Tim. I, I just want to encourage everybody to see this film. Um, no, no film can, you know, on the 90 minutes can go into all the details we've discussed here, but it will bring these guys to life, and it will bring this case to life in a very powerful way that, even the best book cannot do. Amen. And, um, and you know, like Tim said, it's almost 30 bucks to buy it, but Hey, have a house watch party, get four or five right. friends together and look at it. Like you're going to the movie, chip in five bucks a piece and you're done. So you won't actually wind up seeing it cheaper than you would see it. If you went into the theater, but please pass the word and you can go, you can get it at 
you can go to fallenangel.film, which we have uh, on my green screen, the background, or you could go to what to salemnow.com and, um, and, and get the word out. President Reagan asked the question, uh, if not us, then who, and if not now, then when, and becoming informed, fully informed is the first key to being able to take effective action. And this is an opportunity to do that. Don, where can they find, where can people find out more about you and the books that you've written? My website is donbrownbooks.com. 15 books on the U.S. military, hopefully a 16th to be released in January, um, both fiction and nonfiction. The last few have been fiction. I had a 2017 book release called uh, 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 called Travesty of Justice about the prosecution of Lieutenant Clint Lawrence. Yep. I was able to represent him. President Trump pardoned him in 2019. That might be a good read. The Extortion 17 book would be a read everyone should take a look at. And there are others as well. And so I just really appreciate the opportunity to say a few things about that. I enjoy writing. It's an outlet for me, and I hope that it'll be used for the greater good by the grace of God. Amen. Amen. And, you know, I want to I probably want to have you on to deal with this uh, Clint Lawrence thing, uh, because uh, I didn't know you had written the book and I saw it when I was pulling up things. And I said, oh, that would be a good interview, too, because I covered some things on there. And I actually think he did the right thing in what he did uh, to protect his men. And uh, so I'd like to have that. But let me ask you one one final question. And this is basically sort of a personal question. You've written a lot of uh, fictional works. And I'm kind of curious, are these fictional works that you've written, are they based off of real cases that you've done as a a Navy JAG officer or even as a civilian? Yeah, some of them are. I mean, my first military novel is called Treason, and and that's the one they say, quote-unquote, predicted Fort Hood. But but a lot of it's based on my experience as a JAG officer. Um, I wrote a book that was a a great – I think it's enjoyable read a lot of people say called uh, – Thunder in the Morning Calm. It's about a military uh, intelligence officer who goes into North Korea looking for evidence of what happened to his grandfather on a covert mission. Later, the Eisenhower Library released previously classified information that we left guys behind in North Korea when the armistice was signed. And uh, so some of the the fiction bleeds over into nonfiction. Um, So you mentioned Malacca conspiracy. Uh, A lot of it deals with the the Muslim infiltration in military. In fact, matter of fact, treason deals with Muslim information in the United States military, which is what happened at Fort Hood when Major uh, Nidal Hassan went in and he shot up a bunch of our folks at Fort Hood. Hassan is at, is at Leavenworth now, sitting on death row. Now, if that judgment is ever executed, I'll be surprised. But he's on death row at Leavenworth, and they haven't had the guts to pull the trigger on it. But uh, so, uh, you know, um, it's been a real blessing to be able to write probably kept me out of more trouble than I would have gotten in otherwise. <laughs> it's, it's helped me It's helped me to stay abreast of things. And it's amazing the way the Lord has opened doors for me to be involved in some of these cases like the extortion 17 and the Lawrence case. Um, I got to get you an updated bio, by the way, my man. That bio is two or three years <laughs> out of date. I'll get, yeah, I'll, we'll, we'll <laughs> do that. We'll do that. Don, it's always a pleasure to talk with you, whether we're on air or off air. And uh, we appreciate all that you've done. Let me, let me get, stay with me and I'll say goodbye to you after I close out the show here. Let me, let me say something to, to Chris in the, in the chat. Don't think that God has forsaken your prayers. Okay. God may be testing you to see whether or not you're going to trust him to take a stand. I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm not saying that lightly either. I've had to do it too. And God has this way of holding on to the last minute when you're about to give in 
and coming to the rescue. The Bible says that he has, that the psalmist wrote that he had never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his children begging bread. Now, either we believe that or we don't believe that. Okay? It's as simple as that. I, I don't know how to make it soft for you. Okay? But I will encourage you this. There is a contact button on sonsoflibertymedia.com. And if you're willing to take the stand and not give in to the tyranny, you contact me. We'll see what we can do to help your family out. I don't have a lot. Uh, my wife and I have 10 kids, and so we don't make a lot of money. We barely get by every week, but I'll do my part in that, and I'll see if there's other people who will come alongside of us, and we'll do it so that you and your wife can take a stand, okay? But don't give in, and don't give excuses that God's not listening, because God is seeing in every place. There's not a place he doesn't see, and if you're one of his children, he does provide. Jesus said, is there somebody who's going to ask of their father, for a stone and he's, or for a piece of bread and he's going to give him a stone or a fish and he's going to give him a serpent? No, God's not like that. He's not that kind of daddy. He's a good daddy and he cares for his people. And so you remain strong. And again, contact button at the top of sonslibertymedia.com. If you need our help, you genuinely need it. I want to be there to support it. I want to just tell you to do this. I want to be a means of trying to do that. And I know there are people in this chat room who want to do that for you as well. Guys, catch Bradley at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, sonsoflibertymedia.com later on today. Lord willing, we're going to have our interview with Joni Marquez. We're going to air that for you tomorrow. It will be a um, pre-record, obviously, but uh, be in prayer for that because I, I know Joni uh, has uh, some difficulties in speaking you know, publicly about this. It's a very emotional thing, but uh, I, I think your voice needs to be heard. So you guys keep that in mind, and uh, we'll talk to you in the morning. Lord willing, 6 a.m. with Joni Marquez. See ya.